In a world of bus schedules and business calls, sidestep into a realm of Koigyu casting in Klingons. Okay, people, get your geek on. Hi everyone, it's June 2nd, 2012, and you're listening to episode 42 of Knit One Geek 2. I'm Karen. And I'm Maggie. And we're coming to you from outside St. Bart's Hospital. Where we are wrapped in our shock blankets. And weeping into our hankies. And rocking back and forth. And cursing Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis. But more on that trauma later. Let's cling to the knitting for a minute. Okay. So, adventures in knitting. Catnip sock. Ooh, you are past the heel. I am past the heel. I am past the ankle. I'm literally just going to use up the rest of the leg. Use up because this came in two skeins. Yep. So I have one for each foot. But so you're going to go as far as you can. I'm going to go as far as I can. And I think it looks rather pretty. This yes, is, is Catnip by Wendy Johnson. And that's in the niche yarns. Yep. In the the William color, which is rather appropriate, considering it's the Queen's Jubilee. Yeah, actually, yes. This weekend. The only, you only have to pretty much remember four rows of pattern mm-hmm. for this uh, particular pattern. The thing is that I keep screwing up those rows, so I can't go anywhere <laughs> without, the, without the pattern just yet. So that is the catnips. And the thing was, you remember how last week I nearly put the cat into a crock pot? Yeah. And I got the phone call from the husband at one point this week. You were knitting something with purple yarn? Yes. What was it? What do you mean what? what? It was a sock. How far did you get? Past the heel, up to the foot, up to the leg? It's, it's not now. I'm sorry. I'm like, ah, okay. Goes in. Goes in. All right. Just put it away. I will deal with Think it Think of rainbows and home. unicorns. Anyways, I got home to find out it wasn't this sock that the cat had attacked. It was a random sock that... It was needles and yarn that I had picked up that also happened to be purple. Mm -hmm. And I had just done seven rounds on it, so there wasn't anything on it. Oh, thank God. Really. (laughs) Thank God. The cat still did make an entire mess out of another skein of yarn and broke a set of wooden harmony cirques. Mm -hmm. But... The catnip yarn was safe because I remember th- driving home, calming myself, thinking, I'm sure I put that away safe and sound. I am sure I did. <laughs> because you, one does not go through a heel on a pattern and then just abandon it to the wind and a sporadic, you know, self-demented house cat. So anyways, I realized I haven't done very much on my vodka cardigan of late, so I pulled mm-hmm. it out recently. I am now about Five and a half stitch, uh, inches below the armhole repeat. Ooh. So I'm, I've got one more repeat. I've got one more decrease, and then I'm right at mid waist. It is actually going quite fast. Yeah, you could. Well, it is stockinette stitch, which can either be like very tedious, or it can be sort of like you just gotta go on autopilot. And then... Yeah, and it it is DK weight, so it's not the worst in the world. Yeah. So it's happy. Teeny, so it's happy. <laughs> it's happy with that. And I could tell you I did made progress on this, but the thing is, would anybody be able to tell? <laughs> yes, this is the... What is the pattern again? It's the ruffle cardigan. Yes, this is the one where you have to knit in one... One by one rib. For like 60 inches? Yes. Because you do like from cuff to cuff? Yes. And then pick up stitches to do the rest of the body? Rest. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what? I could tell you that I did work on it, but the thing is, nobody could tell. Well, by the same token, if you didn't do any work on it, you could say you'd done work on it. Maybe I'm doing that now. Oh, yes. And this weekend, this past weekend, not this weekend, you and I both exposed the newbie knitter to a yarn store. Yes, we did. And to a, well, teeny tiny yarn festival. And a teeny tiny yarn festival. She got to experience, she got to hold a chick. Yep. And she got to see a shearing. And she got to see an alpaca, which... Yep. It sounded like it was like the highlight of her year. Yeah, she got to see alpacas pre-shearing and post-shearing. Yep. That was, that, it, and we also took her to the spinning store. Ooh, yes. And it, showed her all the lovely, lovely things that one can turn into so, yarn. So for, in one day, she saw the original animal. Yes. And the fleece. On the animal. On the animal. And then she saw how it was morphed. Yes. And it was fun watching her brain go splody. <laughs> yep. Yes, it's rather fun seeing her trying to cope with everything that we're throwing at her. We keep telling her, it's like, just let it wash over you and don't feel like you have to remember this. It will, it will all come back, especially when you start having 
new interests, like if you have interest in spinning or if you have interest in maybe drop spindles specifically or mm-hmm. you're just curious and you go back into it. Oh, yes, I remember. We talked about this ages upon ages ago when I was but a grasshopper in the world of knitting. We, we're still nudging her to start her very first actual pattern, though. That's okay. So you'll have yes. to check and make sure that she starts. I will lash the whip. She says she's forgotten how to cast on. Uh, everybody yeah. does. Yeah. Everybody does because you cast on, you learn to cast on like 10 stitches once and then you knit for ages. And then by the time you have to cast on again, you've totally forgotten how to do it. Yeah. But that's you for this week. Oh, and somebody did something today. Oh, yeah. I, ex- I literally just came from my Taekwondo testing. I am now a green belt. Yay! <laughs> Halfway to Black Widow belt. <laughs> Dude, if I actually make it to Black belt, I am so getting a Black Widow pin. I am so You've got it. the red hair. I've got the hair and it's probably pretty easy to cut it and maintain the style that she has at the moment that would rock that would so (laughs) rock you would so have to go as black widow for halloween Halloween? yeah well i'd need to you know go on a diet and do something to fit my non-black widow arse into one of those cat suits but that's okay well you do see her wearing like slightly tight-ish jeans and then or little black dresses yeah, or little, little black dresses or the jeans and the jacket sort of thing. That's true. You could go Black Widow casual. Yeah, Black Widow cash. That sounds like a new line from, like, New York. Black Widow cash. I just have the pin on me somewhere. I'll do that. Yeah. Why do I always get paired up with a guy that has super long legs to spar with? Why? <laughs> I'm five foot freaking one. I get paired up with the kid who's not yet out of what looks like grade 10, and his legs are taller than my shoulders. Or yes. it seems like it. But you succeeding against that person is even better then. Ah. Again, channel Black Widow, man. <laughs> She's fighting aliens and stuff, and she still manages to kick ass. And looks good doing yes. it. All right, so what has Karen done this week? Okay, I have done a few things. For one, speaking of Avengers, it turned out earlier this week that one of my friends from work had not seen it yet. So we went to see it last night. So this makes count number what? Four. Mm, okay. <laughs> and I still loved it. I don't blame you. But one of the things is, yesterday I finished, pre-movie, I finished the mo- one of the movie socks. Nice. Basically, it all, it, all I had to do yesterday before the movie was just do a few more rows of the twisted knit pearl ribbing. Yeah. So one twisted knit, one pearl. And then cast on the toe of the other sock. I still love this colorway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's the sock hoppin' colorway. Yeah. From Blue Moon Fiber Arts. In socks that rock. In the lightweight. And so I cast on the toe yesterday before the movie, and during the movie, I did about two and a half inches. Did you have the same problem during the big fight scenes where you were getting really tense? Or not well, as much now that you know where when Probably stuff not as much. Like, I, 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 know, I wasn't quite as tense. Though the movie was crowded, so I was trying to keep my elbows in while I was knitting. No, I don't see any gauge changes, but the real gauge change would be like if I go to see a different movie. And then notice how the, the gauge changes <laughs> with that. But yeah, so I got another couple inches on that. And of course, there's tons of movies coming out. So the other one should be done. Sweet. Fairly soonish. But outside of that, I have been working on mostly my deduction shawl, which is my own pattern that I mentioned last week that I was sort of bodging together. Bodging? And is that a technical term? Yeah, it's sort of, you know, just whipping it together, <laughs> shoving it together, you know, sort of like shoving things together. And it sounded them like work. a very British term. Yeah, I think I got it from one of the British, like, one of the old, there were shows t- on British TV, I think it was called like Junk Wars or something like that, but it's basically like a group of en- two teams of like engineers had a challenge to build something and they had like this scrapyard they could pillage for parts. And it was really cool. I think that's where I picked it up from. Hunger Games, the technical issue? Sort of like that, yeah. Okay. Except without the, you know, murdering people. Murdering part. So. Love this. This is the one that I'm doing in the Aslan Trend Santa Fe, which is a fingering weight kettle dyed yarn in sort of navy denim blue, as well as the yarn that I dyed myself, which I call the purple shirt of sex yarn. After you know who. Yes. <laughs> Sherlock. And so I'm doing, basically, I, like I said last week, I had a little panel of a little stitch pattern that I sort of made up. And then I'm doing garter stitch stripes. Basically one on the right side, one on the wrong side, switch colors. One on the right side, one on the wrong side, switch colors. So you get one little row of bumps for each color on the right side. I love the way this looks. This must be your Zen knitting. Yes, it's really nice. I've been doing a lot of it. It's amazing I've been doing so much of it because it's usually, garter stitch is usually not my thing, but I just like, I like being able to get to the middle where I can do the little decreases because I'm doing it from the bottom up. So each row gets shorter and shorter. And so I like being able to get to the bot to the middle so I can do the decreases. And then I like being able to 
get to the end so I can change colors and <laughs> see the colors stacking up on each other. And it probably won't take too much longer for me to finish it, really. Cause, no, probably not. As I said, each row gets shorter and shorter, so. And, yeah. And it's, you can definitely, holding it up, you can definitely see the shawl shape. It's very Batman-ish at the moment. Yeah. But soon. That looks loverly. Yes. I might pick up stitches on the top and then do a special little, just do a little like pico edging or something like that, especially to hide the one side where I've been carrying the yarns up so that you won't even see that. And then just today, actually, I've been mostly working on that when I've been on the bus and stuff. But then just today I picked up my arch shaped socks again. And both of the socks are past the heel, past the gusset. And just working on that arch shaping where the stitches come from the bottom of the foot to sort of wrap around right. the top. So they're both at about the same point. So they're yoga socks right now is what you're saying. Yeah, kind of. Except, you know, they will be closed toe, warm, cozy socks. And that's the stuff I'm doing in the diabolical strong arm skinny yarn in the Joe Rides a Motorbike colorway, which I still love. Oh my God. <laughs> I just love the purple and the teal and the black all melding together. And then... Last thing. I got a little package yesterday before I went to see the Avengers. I ordered... It looks like Christmas in a bag. I ordered from Gnome Acres. That's G-N-O-M-E. Acres. A-C-R-E-S. The Avengers mini skein set. So there's seven little mini skeins. All in Avengers colors. <laughs> yeah, actually I should say seven for six Avengers and Loki. Oh, and I am going to make little hexapuffs for my beekeepers quilt out of them. Okay. I'm really, I'm thinking with the Captain America one, which is, of course is red, red, white, white and, blue, and blue. I'm probably going to do the hexapuff from the inside out. Oh, to try and make a star effect. Or, yeah. Well, a radiating effect. Yeah. Vaguely, it's not going to stripe up, but you know, it's sort of like make little swirls. Swirl, swirls. Sort of like Captain America's shield. So that, that's Captain America. The red, orange, and yellow one is obviously Iron Man. Yep. There's black, purple, and blue for Hawkeye. Green and purple for Hulk. The red, black, and gray for Thor, I believe. Then there's red and black for, for Widow. Black Widow. And then there's green, gold, and black for Loki. And I can't wait to start this. I kind of love it. There's just a, just a nice little bundle of skeins. You should have, eventually when you assemble this, you should have Loki surrounded by all of the... Avengers on the quilt. I may just on do the blanket. that, actually. Of course, I'm still tempted by all the, the other Avengers yarn that I've seen, and I still want to dye my own, but um, I need to order more dye, more blank yarn for that, so that might be a little while. You're still but... going to do his first name as Agent? Yes, that's part of the reason I would still dye my own. Because <laughs> no one has made Coulson yarn yet. But okay. yeah, that's me for this week. I've been knitting on the same things pretty much but hopefully almost done a couple so, things oh, so, so maybe that'll change next week oh which reminds me we should mention that there will not be a podcast next week yes and it's all my fault because somebody got a I, I, summons to ottawa i did i got not a, an official one well yeah well no canadian edition of shield begging your presence no unfortunately <laughs> dang it the matriarch of my family aka a, her honorable right highness of ordering her children about my mother. <laughs> yeah, I am being summoned to Ottawa for a family function. And I'm going to try and make use of the time by finding knitting stores in Ottawa. Well, we do know a website where you can do that. Yes, we do. Knitmat.com. So, dang it, I am here for this extended amount of time. Fulfill the family obligation. I'm going yarn shopping. If I have to be here, I'm going yarn shopping. Yeah, dang it. Yeah, so we're going to skip next week. Because you're going to be gone from, like, Thursday to Sunday or Monday. Yeah. Yeah. So there's really no point. I'll miss midnight as well. Boo! Yeah. I'm gonna. That's why I'm leaving you in charge of making sure that the newbie knitter starts her project. Yes. Suck. Yep, suck. The only thing that I could maybe get out of this, other than the yarn store, is, you know, dragging my parents along to see the Avengers. And if they fall asleep, I will totally down them in popcorn and upturn a soda on their head. Do it. Yeah. Do it. My brother and I were standing there talking about it on the computer, asking me if I'd seen it yet, and I'm like, it's past the opening night. Duh, I've seen it. Oh, yes. yes it's awesome. <laughs> and Mom's standing there, you know, we were Skyping on the computer, so it's a visual face-to-face. -face. And, you know, she's got this blank look on her face going, well, if it's this good, maybe you should take us. And my brother and I sort of look at each other through the computer going, um, Mom, there are a couple of things that you might want to know or do a couple, a little bit of movie, back movie stuff. Watching like, before you see it. Have you seen Thor? No. Do you even know who Thor is? No. 
you <laughs> might have a teensy weensy teeny weeny weeny problem. Yeah, it might help. But yeah, so moving into Geek Squee. Actually, speaking of Avengers, there's been a new little bit of news on the Iron Man 3 front. Oh? There have been pictures from the set. Oh, really? Yes. Including, and this could be a little spoilery, so if you don't want to listen, just skip ahead for like the next two minutes. Sing to yourselves. It starts filming in Wilmington, North Carolina. <gasps> which case I'm like, hey, brother who's moving to North Carolina, want to take a road trip? Oh my god, and I know some geek, <laughs> I know a couple of geeky families in that area too. But there's been photos of James Badgedale, who have, they've been speculating on who he's playing. Mm-hmm. And he, but the pictures are, seem to definitely be of Iron Patriot. Mm. Which if you don't know the character and you, you want to imagine what this looks like, basically it's like the Iron Man and the Captain America suits had a baby. <laughs> yes. It's like the Iron Man suit with like red, Stars white, and blue on and, it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And there's all sorts of like backstory about the character that makes it interesting. I think they said it was actually like a persona that somebody who's in like the Spider-Man movies once had or something like that. So I don't know how they're working it in or who it's going to be, but okay, like, more Avengers movies. Oh yeah. Oh hell's yeah. And I can't. That's supposed to come out sometime next year, I believe. Early next year. Yeah. Yes. Well, early summer next er- year. Early being you know before October. early blockbuster season. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, May next year, if I remember correctly. Which is good, because I want more Avengers movies. Yeah, we're well, we're still going to be... We're just probably going to be coming down off the high of The Hobbit. Yes. Everybody's going to be saturated with Hobbit by that time, so we will be happy to see something. Yes. And that provides me with the perfect segue into the other Geek Squeed moment that I that I had, actually. Oh, wonderful. Because... It's, it's like I actually know what I'm doing here. Also coming out at the same time as The Hobbit, or, like, about a week later, is... The movie of the musical Les Miserables. Oh. And the teaser trailer for that came out this week. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> I was, like, doing a Kermit flail. Arms flailing, watching it. Is everybody aware of who is singing in this? Because this is the Les Miserables where they're actually doing, you know, the famous Broadway songs. Yeah, this is it. the movie of the musical. And Jean Valjean is being portrayed and sung by the illustrious Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Jackman. Who, and he looks rather attractive yes, in his costume, even, might I say. Even with the gray hair. Yeah. Oh. Actually, the, the teaser trailer is Anne Hathaway singing part of I Dreamed a Dream. And then they show other, like, little little images in the background. And I've heard varying opinions on how good they think she is. I think she's good considering this is a movie and not an actual musical where you have to belt it so you mm-hmm. can actually hear it in the back. And considering what her character is going through at the time she sings that song, I thought, you know, the way she did it was good for that. Mm-hmm. But then I'm also just like, ah! <laughs> And then, of course, the other thing, the other thing is uh, Valjean is played by Hugh Jackman. Javert is played by Russell Crowe. Oi. Which is going to be interesting. Yeah, I, somehow it just suits him. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't think I've ever heard him sing, though. Uh, he's actually been, I think he's had, like, a couple, like, rock band sort of things that I, he's I, been in. I can see that. I haven't, I don't know if I've heard him sing in a Broadway-ish I just never would have associated him with singing. I mean, I think, like, Hugh Jackman's had singing parts in multiple movies, like, even when you don't see his face, like, Happy Feet. Well, he was in, like, in musicals and stuff in Australia, like, long before he... I have... Oh, I have a copy of the Australian cast recording of Beauty and the Beast, where he played Gaston. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, my God. It is It is amazing. In that big red shirt and those leggings and boots? Yeah, I haven't seen pictures, but he, he certainly sounds like he's having fun with the part. Oh my when god. He's singing it. Okay. And, I, I found my fantasy for the night. And I've also heard, I also have a couple of recordings of him in like, he was in Sunset Boulevard and a couple other musicals. And of course, he did, you know, the, the Oscars. Saw him performing yeah. at the Oscars. He and, really hands it up at the Oscars. And he's actually had like a. T- touring show that he's been doing oh way to go Hugh and apparently he was in Toronto but the tickets were like a hundred bucks I was like no I want to go but I do not have the monies and the timing was awful too oh can we can, can we just tell him like we're a podcast or something and no we don't we don't have that clout <laughs> no we don't get press passes damn it damn it what do we have to sacrifice to get press passes squirrels 
I don't know. Hopefully not the kitty sleeping on the back of the couch. Dead boyfriends. Ex-boyfriends. Ex-boyfriends. <laughs> yes, I should mention if we if we sound a little different, it's because we're recording over at my house this week. We were trying it out at my place. Oh, so because... that there's no podcast kitty with the dingle bells. <laughs> and so we can get started earlier. We can now... get started early. We don't have to wait for <laughs> Elf to, to, to go to bed. Oh, God. Because that has been getting later. Oh, God. Because he's getting older. He's getting older. So we do have a podcast kitty here. It's just she's sleeping on the back of the couch the she's, entire time. She's doing her job as podcast kitty, providing us moral support without getting in the way. Yes. The and ginger the... ain't doing that. <laughs> oh, I swear. Young Dumb male cat. Honest to God. <laughs> yes. And the other thing I have for Geek Squee this week, before we get into Sherlockiness. <laughs> ready, ready your hickeys. Oh, God. Is apparently the International Quidditch Association is planning an International Quidditch Exposition game, or games, for the days when the Olympic torch is going through Oxford. No. Yes. And, even better, they're having teams picked from the United States, France, Australia, and the UK. And you can buy jerseys. Like, actual jerseys. That's so cool. Which look awesome. Sadly, obviously, they're only for those four teams, so there's no Canadian one. So Wait, you, can you see. said UK, French, US, and what? UK, France... U.S. and Australia. See, I could go with either the U.S. or the U.K. because I'm married to an American, but my father was born in Glasgow, Scotland. I could, I could go either way, depending on the design of the shirts. Okay, here we go. It's loading with the Team USA jersey. There's Team France. There's the Team USA jersey. And, I mean, it looks like an actual sports jersey. Yeah, it does. Like, it looks like something you could see an Olympic team wearing to... A match yeah. or to, you know, the opening ceremonies yeah, or something. Yeah. Well, closing ceremonies, maybe. Usually opening ceremonies is the wacky crap. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see what they have this year. Oh, God, yes. Like, so there's Team USA. And I think for the moment, you can buy the TUS, Team USA and Team France. They have actual pictures of the shirts and you can buy them right now. France is really neat. It's got like just this sort of diagonal stripe of red and blue with a, the ba- the background of the shirt, the white background. In the middle. The UK and Australia jerseys, I believe they have, they just have prototype images at the moment. That's still pretty cool. Yeah, that's really neat. The the front of the UK one has sort of the Union Jack over the upper torso with, you know, the, the horizontal bar of the Union Jack saying UK Quidditch. And then the vertical bar of the Union Jack goes all the way down the middle of the front. And in the back, it's sort of, it's blue, white, and red. But and there's chevrons. like a little, yeah, yeah. chevron pattern in the back and this is so cool i might have to get um my brothers some jerseys for christmas presents nice one australia yeah australia's got the stars on the front with sort of a a curve of yellow that goes sort of right down the the middle over the shoulders and then down the middle and then green and then two other little crescents crescents of yellow as well and then the back it goes into sort of a, a point of yellow it's kind of hard to describe it's sort of the thing you have to see but it looks really nice though and i think the thing is too you can get team you can get player jerseys so you can buy a jersey with your favorite player's name and number and the proceeds support that player or you can get a custom jersey featuring your name and a number of your choice you're scaring the cat sorry but yes you can get your name and whatever number you want on the back oh holy squee i want this or whatever name you want i'm sure like i'm sure if you wanted to put potter on the back Holy squee, I want this. What would you put on the back of yours? I don't know at the moment. I might put Widow on the back. Be Widow. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably have my name and then the number 24. I suppose I, I parallel you with 42. True. 42 is a great answer to anything. <laughs> it's the answer to life. It's the answer to life, universe, and everything. Which is why, as we're sitting out on the pavement outside of St. Bart's, rocking back and forth and moaning into the air going, Whoa! And everybody keeps looking at us and going 42. We've told you. It's the answer to everything. Yeah. So if you click on, basically if you go to www.internationalquidditch.org, I am not spelling that out. Sorry, guys. Um, okay, we'll spell Quidditch. Q-U-I-D-D-I-T-C-H. It's actually like right on the front page. Or in the latest new, their latest news sidebar, they have buy, places to, links to buy each of the jerseys. Well, and then if you click on each of the, the places to buy it and scroll down, if you scroll past where it says the T, the where you can add stuff to your cart, they have a sizing chart. Okay. So it looks like it runs from chest size 35 to 49. 
35 is an extra small, 49 is an extra large. I want one of these so bad. I am not normally this freaky outy over a, a t-shirt, but I, I want, know. I want one of these so bad. I want one of these so, so bad. I'd probably have to get the UK one. Yeah, I'd go UK as well. Yeah, you know, the whole like Commonwealth country thing. Ancestry sort of thing. Though really, well, no, it's still ancestry sort of thing if I consider my U.S. in air quotes relatives. Mm. considering they were loyalists that were kicked out of the U.S. during the American Revolution. So I don't think that counts. Oh, you as know, US. Family, family-ish <laughs> squabbles and issues. But yeah, they look really cool. Maybe we should design a Canadian one. Like, I don't have enough, you know, <laughs> things I could do. I've got to get to designing the uh, Ravelin picture. Yeah, and the the shirts I should mention, too, they're 92% polyester, 8% spandex fabric. It's antimicrobial, quick-dry, and moisture-wicking. So 100% made in the USA, so it looks like it is, like, actual sports... You can work out in this. ...material. Yeah. Can you imagine going to the gym oh, in one man. of these? Oh, man. <laughs> or, like, cycling down, you know, cycling down the road wearing one of these. Oh, my God. The double takes would be awesome. Especially if, you know, you're just standing there, you know, leaning on a broom. Yeah, especially with, with the USA one, there's just, like, a little patch over the left breast with the U.S. flag, and it says USA, and then in smaller letters it says Quidditch underneath, so right. it's not quite as awesome. But I can imagine with the U.K. one, it, it goes right across the top of the chest, mm-hmm. so... It should be visible from a fair distance that it says Quidditch on it. That would be awesome. I want one so bad. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) I'm still going to have to show this to my husband. Yep, so that's internationalquidditch.org. And I'm sure those will be up on the front of the site for quite a while. Whoever thought of this, way to go. And if you're in the UK, especially if you're near Oxford, dude, they're having exposition games. Take pictures for us. Please take pictures. Please take pictures. That's kind of awesome. I want Quidditch to be an Olympic sport. Okay. So shall we get into Sherlock? Okay. Here be spoiler territory, people. Yeah. We are getting into spoiler area. Yeah. And this week, like I said, we're doing spoilers right off the bat because we can't talk about this episode without giving spoilers. I'm sorry. Like, seriously, if you've seen the episode, you know what we're trying to say. There's nothing we can tell you other than OMG. And the stuff we've already said in the non-spoilery stuff the last couple weeks, Martin Freeman is awesome, Benedict Cumberbatch is awesome, oh my god, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis, why do you do this to us? So yeah, we're just skipping all of that. Spoilerville. Oh god! Oh my god, this episode! This was the fourth time for you for this episode? Probably third or fourth. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have watched Scandal in Belgravia and Hounds of Baskerville. Quite a few times more than that. Just because of the emotional content. Yeah. Because those two are much easier to watch than yeah. this one. This one yeah. is... And I've seen maybe the first part of this one a few times, but never been able to get close to the end. Because, uh, so, oh my okay. god. Okay. So this is based off of the traditional Conan Doyle story of the Reichenbach Falls. Yeah, the actual the actual title of the Conan Doyle story is the final problem. That's true. That's which right. Which is why Moriarty says that like twenty times during the episode. And you just want to punch him in the nose. Yeah, and I should mention, you know, the original story is possibly one of the parts of it are possibly one of the weaker stories because basically Conan Doyle was like, "Dear God, I am sick of writing Sherlock, Sherlock. Holmes. Everybody wants to ask me about Sherlock Holmes. I'm killing I'm, him I, off. I've written all these other stuff and nobody's paying any attention. I want to kill him off. So it's like." Have I told you about my greatest nemesis, Moriarty? No. Well, let me tell you about my greatest nemesis. Moriarty. <laughs> that you have never heard of before. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay, so let's start. It, it was a particularly trying day for you yesterday. Yes. Because you went from s- the Avengers. To Reichenbach Falls. To Reichenbach Falls. <laughs> yes. It was, ow. Because this episode, oh my God. Okay. I'm trying to think of how to start off. Yeah, I know. We're not going to do this completely, like, completely going through the episode linearly, no. but... All right, favorite point of the episode. Just just a standout moment. I'm sorry, Moriarty, Moriarty at the beginning. Um, breaking into... Breaking in? Okay. The crown jewels, yep. and... My, my favorite of his, is of him sitting in the in the chair, in the throne, with the actual crown jewels on. <laughs> that whole sequence is my yeah, favorite, really. Yeah. From the way he moves when he's pulling out his iPod and starts, to the music in the background, which is Rossini's The Thieving Magpie. And you said you said that uh, when it came to breaking the glass, he didn't need to dance. Like, he yeah. improvised the he dancing. Said, yeah, he said in the... In the making of thing that comes with the DVDs, he said, like, you know, so I had to do this dance, and he's like, well, I didn't have to. I did. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Yes, it was. That was so in character. He has so much style and so much flair. Totally in character for Moriarty. Yeah. 
And he, oh God, just that whole, so the music and then the style with which he does it and Lestrade, that's not our division, with his feet up on the desk. Yeah. No, trust me, you're going to want it. And then just the way they filmed all the little bits when breaking oh, just, into things. Yeah, and, it just amplified the whole cast cascading effect oh i love one of the the prison one where whoever was in charge of the prison just let his cop his teacup just fall into his you know tip over into his lap beautiful oh yeah i think that was the the royal bank where it it, it does the slow motion like of this china teacup and he just tips it into his lap beautiful beautiful it's so beautifully shot yeah it is it's just all being done at the same time underneath the music of the symphony which is just so Quirky and light and disturbed, perfect. disturbed, unutilized under yeah. Moriarty. Yeah, and actually, this episode is one of the very few times in the series when we actually have the use of source music, what they call, which is you know other existing music. Because yeah. we have that, and then right after that, we have Sinner Man underneath Moriarty going to trial for his break in. Mm-hmm. So, which what is did, what did you think of the Holmes Moriarty conversation in the flat? At 221. Oh, man. Oh, ban- it's like... They bantered back and forth yes. at each other. It was like a tennis game at Wimbledon. Back, yeah, back, it's like back, the back. combination of tennis and chess, because you can see each of them yeah. thinking about what to say and how to answer to basically drive each other completely nuts. And then, of course, Moriarty has that great line of, you know, in a room of lo- in a world of locked doors, the man with the key is king. And honey, you should see, see me in a, a crown. crown. Oh, my God. <laughs> God, you're so metro, you crazy maniac. But it's so hilarious, too, that when John calls Sherlock to say that Moriarty's been declared not guilty and he's out, Sherlock's response is, put the kettle on. Yeah. He knows. He, he knows he, that he Moriarty's going to be knows. coming to him, but he's, his first response is, put the kettle on. Yeah. But then again, that's probably also because he knows that it's not like Moriarty's going to come there and kill him. Because no. that's far too easy. No. That's boring. No. So ordinary. Yeah. <laughs> and besides, as he tells Sherlock, I owe you a fall. Oh, and then the the initials of I O-U. U, as in letters, yeah. show up repeatedly. Right, throughout the episode, yeah. But it's really neat, even before that, even like right from the moment when you see Sherlock with Kitty Riley, the journalist right and then in the court you can see his arrogance coming out and right from that moment is when his arrogance starts to pull the net Net in in around him because that's that's one of the most brilliant and heart-rending things watching it i know is that so much of this i wanted to sucker punch her so many times i know that's what her character is therefore i know that logically but you know emotionally i wanted to kick her teeth in so many times yeah, but it, it's so painful because you can see Sherlock doing it to himself and how he set up and how he, through Sets his him- arrogance and everything like that, has set up everything for Moriarty to take advantage of it. But yeah, it's kind of brilliant the way this whole plan has been based around the one thing that's got to be the most, I mean, most damaging for Sherlock from the outside, but most internally hurtful for Sherlock, which is people not believing in what he can do in his yeah. abilities yeah. not believing he's smart yeah because at the beginning of the episode he says he doesn't care what other people okay. think yeah and well yeah you kind of have to you do yeah no you do sherlock yeah you, and john even says you would care if people thought you were stupid yeah which is nice foreshadowing down yes there. especially uh. considering you know it's not some well to sherlock People thinking he's ordinary and faking is people thinking he's stupid. But, oh. And then, like, just the way... And also, there's so much in this episode that get, gets brought in from past episodes. Again, with the way that Sherlock has sort of almost set himself up for this. Because then, when you have... You have that moment when, after the kids have been... After they found the kids that have been kidnapped, and after he's basically made Anderson look like an idiot with the whole investigation thing they were doing at the, the boarding school where the kids were kidnapped. Right, right. When that little girl screams when she sees him... When you see Donovan after that... Yeah, you know that the, the cogs are turning and you're going, no, 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 no! And I remember the first time we watched it, as soon as I saw her and her sort of, hmm, face, I remembered her line from season, first episode season of season one. one. The first thing she says to Watson is, someday we're going to be standing around a body and Sherlock Holmes will have put it there. And that's the point where I'm like, oh, shit. It's like, oh, crap! Oh my god! 
And the thing is that it could have been very easy to go in to have his name cleared because his DNA is not on any of the evidence. You know, that was not at least put there under surveillance of with the police. Moriarty knows that's not the way Sherlock thinks. Yeah. Because they're two sides of the same coin. They're so similar, but with different goals. Yeah. So he knows Sherlock's not going to do that. Yeah. And true to his form, Sherlock doesn't do it. Well, and plus, I mean, there's one, I mean, the lack of evidence doesn't necessarily clear him, though. That's the thing. The lack of physical evidence. Because you have the, the girl's reaction to him is what really okay. gets him thinking about Sherlock. Now, if they don't find fingerprints or DNA, maybe that's just because he was smart and didn't leave any. What it is, what would really clear him is if they had found fingerprints and DNA that weren't his. They're like, oh, okay, obviously someone else had to be there. Though even then, they could, I'm sure Donovan and Anderson would think maybe he had an accomplice. Mm-hmm. Because Sherlock has always treated them like idiots and made them, you know, very antagonistic towards them. So as soon as they get the opportunity to believe that Sherlock has been faking... And that they're not, therefore, as stupid as he's always made out. Oh, and the police superintendent? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm at least rather pleased that he got his nose broken. Oh, God, yes. That's that's one of those brilliant moments where you don't even see it. All you see is John, him saying something nasty about Sherlock and John getting... Rearing back. and Getting then... mad. And then outside, you just see John getting pushed into the side of the squad car as he gets handcuffed. And the other guy holding a, something over his bloody nose. <laughs> Never mind what this man has done for the London population and restoring families and, you know, jewels and peace of mind at rest. Oh, he's a vigilante. Well, as Anderson says, or as he wants to believe, is that, well, how do we know those weren't all set up or something like that? He could have been playing us for fools on all all the cases or whatever. Which, I mean, okay, when you consider it, no, Anderson, that doesn't make any sense. We were talking like 30 cases. But, yeah, that doesn't make sense, but I think... For at least that moment, he can kind of... I could see him sort of believing that because he wants to believe it for at least that moment. And I'm sure at some point Lestrade would say, okay, no, we have actual, you know, evidence against the people that actually did this. Yeah. Or there's no way he could have done it that many times or all these things or would come Or in different up. places. Yeah. Whatever. Or, but, you know, uh, that it wouldn't logistically uh, work. Yeah. But that's just, again, like I said, it's that, that perfect way that Moriarty has crafted this plan around Sherlock's failings. He is the spider. Yes. Conan Doyle did have Sherlock describe him as a spider. Yeah. It's been a little while since I read the the story, but I think Sherlock's description of Moriarty in the courtroom is pretty much almost word for word. Almost word for word accurate. And then we just see that night get tighter and tighter and tighter, capping it off with their visit to Kitty Riley's apartment. Oh, that hurt me so badly. Oh, God. That was when I wanted to kick her in the teeth. And when Richard Brooke walks in. And you could just see the frustration boiling out of Sherlock. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it boiled out of John easier. Yes, but it usually does. Yeah, This you... is one of the times where Sherlock loses his cool. Oh my god. It was a brilliant piece of acting. Yeah, because he realizes exactly how deeply screwed he is. And how far back this net has been strung. Yes. And how hard it will be to get himself out of it. And especially, too, because, like, he tells Lestrade earlier, who, thankfully, Lestrade still believes in him, maybe has a couple little moments of, like, well, I don't know. But I think most of it, most of Lestrade was just sort of like, okay, my junior officers have told me this. They are going to want to pursue this, even if I think it's crap. And it is, like, if it was anyone other than Sherlock, I would think this was a valid theory that we have to check out. And I'm sure he's thinking, if I don't investigate this, they're going to go above my head and they're going to get someone else to do it. Someone who doesn't know Sherlock. Yeah. So I don't think he ever really doubted him. But as as Sherlock told him, you can't, or it's hard to kill an idea once it makes a home in he, here. someone's head. Yeah. So, I mean, not only has it made a home in Lestrade's and everyone else's head, it's made a home in the public. The public's head. I'm sure there's people that would still be, even if even if somehow, you know, <laughs> Sherlock managed to clear his name in that case or something like that, there's sure there's people who would still be like, oh, the guy was a fraud. So, the last scene. Oh, God. Oh, God. Well, just before we get to the last scene, of course, there's two major scenes in this episode okay. with Molly. Yeah. Which we have to get to before we get to the last scene, because, of course, they set up for the last scene. I mean, there's that earlier one where they're still investigating the kidnapping, investigating the kidnapping. 
and she tries to offer some sort of solace for him. Yeah, like and an ear. and shows that she is not as clueless. Clue, yeah, not as clueless as he's probably thought, because she tells him, you know, that she she knows that she notices that he looks sad when he thinks John isn't looking, and she has oh she has such a, that that wonderful speech where she and she mentions I don't count says that you know I don't count poor Molly poor Molly. But it's such a good, it's such a good moment because it's like there's somebody who sees past some of Sherlock's defenses because he doesn't think to keep them up in that moment in front of her. And it it really, it really seems to take him back by surprise when she says that too. Like he spends that most of that exchange being a little late on the uptake. Yeah. And even when she offers to go out for crisps and then, you know, sort of backpedal and says, no, 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 don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'll just go. Yeah. And he says, he says, well, actually, and then she just interrupts him. She's like, no, I know you don't want anything. It's like this moment, he has this sort of moment where he's like who is this molly hooper which is standing in front of me and then of course when sherlock has figured out what moriarty's end game is and he goes to her for help which at least kudos for him for putting aside his pride that way yeah now i really i really really want to believe that when he's talking to her everything he's saying and his emotional reaction is totally true It's just having seen him in other cases faking certain emotions. Mm-hmm. I can't 100% believe it. But I really want it to be true because I really want him to have had that sort of emotional breakthrough with Molly. And I want Molly to have been responsible for responsible for slapping upside the head, basically. But it's so... It, ugh, ugh, it's so, so, like, ah, hard to watch. Especially when he tells her, I think I'm going to die. And she's like, what can I do? I need or, you. Yes. And she says, what do we need? What do you need? And he says, I need you. I'm like, oh. If that were in any other movie, it would almost sound romantic. Yeah. Or and there's, there's also his line, something like, you know, if I, if I wasn't everything you thought I was, would you still help me? And she just <laughs> says, what do you need? It's like, oh my God. That sets up for the heartbreak. And then, of course, John gets the text saying that Mrs. Hudson has been shot and they have that little argument. Because Sherlock's not going anywhere. He's busy. Mm-hmm. And John just loses it and starts calling him a machine. And then it's like, whatever, screw you. Oh, and then there's that line, the Sherlock line, alone, being alone protects me. And then John says, no, friends protect you. It's like, Ugh. And that's the last scene we see before Sherlock goes to his arranged meeting. Yes, with Moriarty. With on the roof of St. Bart's. Ah! Staying alive, staying alive. He's resurrected that song. Oh my god. That whole scene, it's it's still really hard to watch. Because it is just so emotionally intense. I'll grant you this. Andrew Scott does a very, very good crazy. Yes. Which is probably why he won the BAFTA last weekend for Best Supporting Actor. He does a damn good crazy. Yes. During that conversation, it goes back and forth so many times that Sherlock thinks he knows... He's got this wrapped up, only to have Moriarty. No, 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 you're just boring. You're ordinary. You're disappointing. Because Sherlock's fallen yet again for the same thing. For the same thing that happened in The Great Game. Right. He thought Moriarty wanted the Bruce Partington plans. And then when he handed Moriarty the USB key that had them on, Moriarty just tosses them in the pool. pool. Because that totally wasn't what it was about. And again, he thinks that Moriarty wants this code. Computer code. That will help him break into anything. And he's like, no, no, it doesn't work that way. I just bribed people to break in. Daylight robbery. And he's, oh, and he gets so frustrated that Sherlock is not who he thought he was. It's like, you're not, you're getting boring. Ordinary Sherlock. I'll running right up into his face. There is no code, doofus. <laughs> I'm like, ouch, ow, ow, that hurt, that hurt. Oh my God. But then there's that, that one moment from Sherlock where he says what is it I may be on the side of the angels angels, but but don't you dare think for one minute that I'm one one of them them. which is just oh so chilling he says if I and he also said something about if if you want me to shake your your hand in hell I will not disappoint you which actually I was listening to some of the commentaries from a little while ago on some of the first season episodes I think it was from like on the great game and I think Stephen Moffat mentioned that either in the original script or when he was writing, there was something he wanted to put in a line 
something about a line about Sherlock being on the side of the angels. Or he mentioned something. Definitely mentioned that line, Sherlock being on the side of the angels. Back in the first season. And when I listened mm. to that commentary after watching this episode, I'd got chills right down my spine. It's like, <laughs> oh, God damn it! you found a good way to use it in the actual show. And then we have that little bit of a twist where Moriarty blows his own brains out. Yes. Only proving that he, just without a doubt, that he is crackers. Yeah. And I know there's some fans that were like, that makes no sense or whatever, but I think he was... With that whole speech on the roof, I think he was just nuts enough Oh yeah, to have basically based his continued existence on... Where was he going to go after yeah. tormenting Sherlock? Yeah. What was he going to do? On like ending, like getting Sherlock to this point and that was, and you know, being okay with ending it once he knew he had beaten Sherlock or gotten Sherlock to that point. Or especially because he knows he has to do that for Sherlock to kill himself. Because... Mm-hmm. That's you know, the only thing way is Sherlock's out. like, I've, you know, I can, my only, my way out is, of course, you have some way to call them off. So if you're still alive, I can still do that. And Moriarty's like, okay, I won. Cheerio. See ya. Because I think, I mean, I think he is just nuts enough to be like, well, so is he going to do? I mean, he's been playing with the ordinary people for so long, helping people plan crimes and stuff. And it's now that, not enough for him. His, his, he doesn't get the high off of it anymore. Yeah. And he's gotten the high of after trapping Sherlock but after that again like what is he gonna do because Sherlock is nowhere unique, to go from that one of a kind so yeah so I can I can believe him being just nuts enough to to yeah. go through with it I can believe that and I think they've actually said I know some people were like maybe he's not really dead but I think Stephen Moffat and Mark Gattis have said no he's that's actually it for Moriarty especially too because I think they did mention something like we you know we can't string him out forever <laughs> Which might have also been there. Part of the reason they did it, like this huge story in the second season of the show. But also because they mentioned something about how this is still, this is a major thing in Sherlock's development as a character. He's still sort of a a young man at this point. Mm -hmm. So it made sense to put it at this point. Though I know a lot of people were like, why are you doing this one this early? That's what I thought (laughs) originally. But, I mean, I can see that being part of his, again, like I said, being part of his development and also, you know, there's only so long they can stretch out Moriarty before it's like, oh no, it's Moriarty again. Mm. Also because then too they have to keep thinking of grand elaborate schemes that Moriarty keeps can coming up with. be a part of. <laughs> yeah. It sort of does make you wonder, we know that the third season has been mm-hmm. filmed. Or has been, well. Or is Has in been filming. approved. Well, they're, they're going to film it next year. They're writing the episodes now. Okay. It's in production. So the third season has been blessed and is in gestation. Yes. Without Moriarty, it sort of makes you wonder, okay, who else does he play with? Does Sherlock play against? Mm -hmm. What's the grand plan after this? I mean, obviously one of the episodes has got to be his quote-unquote resurrection. Yes. And how he comes back. Which I'm clinging to. Yeah. And (laughs) either reinstates his own name or lives in a state of secrecy. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure his brother would be able to help him with. Yeah, um, but more on that in a bit. <laughs> but is it just going to go back to the random homicides and the random... I can't re- see, I can't remember a lot of the stories after Sherlock comes back. So I'm sure they can come up with something. Or I'm not sure if there's something in one of the later stories that will lend itself to that. Okay, well, there's but, room for speculation. Yeah. But then, of course, too, once Moriarty offs himself, there is only one option left for Sherlock. And you could see him just sort of lose it just a little bit. Yeah, they're just sort of like, oh shit. Turning round and round and round, going up. This kind of panic in his face as he realizes what he has to do. And then John arrives. And he has to have that conversation on the phone. Oh god. And this is the part where we all like grab the hankies and start crying. Because oh my Sherlock is is complying with all of the demands. Saying that he's a fake. Yeah. Nothing is true. The papers have all been right. Well, I'm sure he's doing that. I forget if that was one of Moriarty's demands, but I'm sure he's doing that to keep his friends safe because... Well, yeah. As Moriarty said, he's got three killers ready for his three friends. John, Mrs. Hudson, and Lestrade, which is kind of interesting because, you know, we in last episode we have the, I don't have friends. I've just got, or I don't have friends. I've just got one. one. Well, it turns out you got more. Three. Yeah. At least. Four, Molly. Four, Molly. <laughs> no, Molly's not a friend. Molly's a superhero. She totally is. Oh my god, that conversation. That was a heartbreaking conversation just, for oh, them. That it, it's still so hard to watch because you just see John realizing what Sherlock's going to do, and Sean re- and John refusing to believe what Sherlock's saying, 
And Sherlock tells him that he's a fake, that he made it all up, that he researched John before they met, which, as someone pointed out on Baker Street Babes podcast, has to be, you know, would have to be crap, because he got John's sibling wrong. Yep. He thought Harry was a brother, not a sister. Right. If he really researched him to impress him, he wouldn't have gotten that wrong. And John knows that. But I think even without realizing that, even at the moment, he just refuses to believe. Yeah. Because Uh. he has that much faith. Yeah. Sherlock. Yeah, he does. And then, oh my god, just every single moment in that is just heartbreaking. Like when he says goodbye and drops the phone and you see John just scream Sherlock's name and then the fall. Yeah, it, it, I, okay, I don't watch very many movies where there are suicides or anything like that in them, but it was surreal to watch, like, him falling falling and then hit the ground. Bounce and like hit the ground and wobble a little bit. Yeah. Oh, and then after that, oh my god, when John's going over and he's trying to get past the after he's been hit by that that by that cyclist and he's all stunned and he's trying to get to Sherlock and he's like, he's my friend. Let me through. He's my friend. All the tears, all the feels. Now for the th- right in the feels. For the, <laughs> right in the feels. Now for the all the theories about how it gets out. Yes, we know that Sherlock has a home homeless network. Yes, and that. Easily, the homeless network could have been one of, you know, the bike the bike guy could have been in the yeah. homeless network and disorient, hit John to swerve him about, get him on the ground yes. to buy time for the people around homes. Yeah. And even before that, see, of course, as soon as we saw this episode, the first thing you're thinking, well, even while we were watching the episode, as he was on the roof, the only thing going through my head, and I think I sort of yelled this out in a spontaneous, like, I have to get this out of my head, panicky sort of moment, stream of consciousness was like... He asked Molly for help, but we didn't see her how she helped. And she works in the morgue. Yeah. So my brain was already going like, okay, there is this little thing that, you know, they did and they didn't show how it turned out. Right. And so, you know, maybe that has to be part of it. And then you see him jump. It's like, oh my God, how does that happen? So of course, like right after that, people were like, oh my God, how did he survive? Right. You know, did he, you know, there's all sorts of theories, but like one of the main one that I've seen and the one that I don't care if it's right. I am not invested in being all like, yay, I guessed it. I am, you know, the smart. This is just what I like so that you my, can sleep yeah, at night. So I can sleep. And so my brain stops eating itself trying to figure it out. <laughs> one, Sherlock, when Sherlock's up in the building and John starts walking, there's that garage. Yes. Sort of in between John and Sherlock and the friend of St. Bart's. And Sherlock keeps telling tells him to stay, stay where, he is. where he is. So that the building is blocking his view of, say, like, from the second story down to the ground. And tells him to and tells him to stay there. And then as John comes around that building, just before the cyclist hits him, you get the shot of Sherlock on the sidewalk, or someone on the sidewalk. And there's a truck right there mm-hmm. with bags, in, with an open bed and bags in the back. Yep. And then, add, then there's a shot from above, just after that, where you see the truck... Pulling away from the car. Now, one thing begs the question. If someone has just jumped and gone splat right next to you. Do you drive away? You'd be like, oh, that's nice. Drive away. (laughs) And then after that, John is all stunned. Yes. And a lot of people try to keep John from touching the body. Yes. Because of all people, John would recognize a pulse. Yeah. And that brings in, that's actually kind of brings in a little bit of a, a future, a home story that's in, I think, the last book that Conan Doyle did called The Dying Detective, where... Holmes fakes that he's been poisoned by someone so that the the poisoner will come see him at his request and be all like, ha ha, I have beat you. Mm -hmm. But the one thing he has to do is keep Watson, through the entire story, he has to keep Watson at bay, going, doing other things, or keep him away from him so that Watson, because as soon as Watson touches him, he'll realize he's not running a fever. Yeah. He's not, his pulse isn't racing, He's and he'll see right through it. So that sort of brings that into this. Watson is just too honest in most of the incarnations of Watson. Yeah. Now this Watson can too... lie through his teeth, as we have seen. If, if but, he's in on it. Yeah. But in this case, Holmes has to keep him ignorant, unfortunately, to protect him. But And then someone, uh, people, other people mentioned there's a rhododendron plant that they mentioned earlier. Yep. In the episode. Yes. That causes, slow, slows your heartbeat until it's very hard to find. Yes. Heartbeat and a, breathing. It brings on a dead-like state, which yeah. is actually used. The dried rhododendron plant was used in the Robert Downey Jr. first Sherlock Holmes movie. Yeah. It was how Lord Blackwood faked, faked his, his own death. And I think someone also mentioned that it causes, like, runny nose and watery eyes. 
which, you know, kind of might explain why Sherlock is on the roof talking to John and crying. As heartbreaking as that scene is, there have been a couple indications that it, you know, it wasn't could. entirely honest. Yep. Stephen Moffat did say something like about it being generally out of character for Sherlock and to, for fans to sentimentalize him at your, your peril. peril. So That's true. Okay. And then, oh, and then the other little thing that people mention is that you see him like bouncing this rubber ball. Yes. In the, the, the Bart's lab. And at one point he's rolling it under his hands. You sort of see him tuck it in his pocket as he leaves to go meet Moriarty on the roof. And someone mentioned that there's a trick where if you put a ball in your armpit and clamp your arm down on it you won't be able to feel a pulse at your wrist so there is that moment where watson manages does manage to grab holmes's wrist for a minute before he's pulled away Mm -hmm. but one he's all disoriented concussed anyway and then two if he's got the rubber ball there he wouldn't feel a pulse of course there's sort of like okay well how did he did he jump in the truck and then they put another body on the ground or did he get out of the the truck and until season three to find out but dang it i want to know I know. I've seen one theory, and some people still keep saying the theory about, you know, oh, maybe it was Moriarty's body or another body that he dumped off the roof, but there's no way for him no. to do that. Like, no. There's no way for him to make it look like a body is standing on the edge of the roof, like standing upright. Yeah. Without, you know, being right behind it, holding it in yes. that position, which is very obvious. And then as he falls, you see him actively like windmilling Wailing his arms in, his, in the air yeah and that's not the way a dead body falls and john would know that <laughs> yeah not to mention you know they rolled him over and you could see, see. the face and yeah. the hair and the the shirt of sex that yeah. was covered in blood and we know it was definitely him well we know it was benedict cumberbatch filming that scene because yeah. there were set photos of him with like the fake blood on his face which i'm so glad i didn't see before watching yeah. this episode but then of course and then we get the last scene at the, the cemetery the cemetery john <laughs> oh the heartbreaking dungeon. and of course the beginning and the end of this episode both take place in oh, the so therapist's office we totally even forgot to mention that oh my god the therapist's the cold office, open where with... it's raining outside and He's just struggling with his own inner turmoil. Fantastic oh, bit of acting. Just, oh, the way he... He chokes on he, his he, own words. Yeah, the way his, his voice cracks and the way he's choking on the words as he... And he has to keep stopping as he says just the simple phrase, my friend Sherlock Holmes is dead. And the way he can barely get it out is just, oh my God, <laughs> so heartbreaking. And then, of course, we see him at his therapist's office, they cut back to the therapist's office near the end, and he's you know, refusing to say the things he wants to say to Sherlock, but then we go to the cemetery and he gets them out. Right. And it is heartbreaking. I was so alone. And as he's walking away, you can, one, see, one the, you can see the military yes. training in him oh my God. starting yeah, to come up. Yeah, because he has that, that moment, one more miracle, Sherlock, don't be dead. Yeah. And you see him, in the, you see the, the gravestone and the reflection of the gravestone, you see him breaking down. And then he straightens up. And he gets that military posture and he kind of does like a military turn, turn. You can see him just like shutting down emotionally and reverting back to Captain Watson. Mm. And then of course, and this was the moment I was, I was sure we were not going to get this because I was sure those bastards were going to leave us like with, without this little bit for the next year and a half. But then the camera pans over as John walks away. And just for a second, you think he's made of porcelain, I swear to God. He being Sherlock. Sherlock watching. But yes, I am glad that they did put that in. Yes. Because otherwise, oh my god, Armageddon would have erupted. Yes. From the fan base. Reichenfields would have killed us all. And I swear, there would be no hole for those two to hide in. (laughs) No. No. The fans would find them and eat them. Yes. Especially because, too, like a couple weeks before this show, this series came on... The Robert De- second Robert Downey Jr. movie came out, and spoilers for that movie if you haven't seen it yet. It's been out for six months, so really, um, <laughs> it, it deals with the same issue thing at the end. And they, it's sort of interesting seeing the difference in how they handle it because at the end you see Watson writing up that case, the final problem, and then you know they have they reveal Holmes, but they do it in a sort of jokey kind jo- of. It's a jovial way. Yeah, it's a it's a humorous sort of way to sort of send it off on a on a positive note. But it's kind of interesting, and I was I was thinking, okay, they do it for a joke, and also because probably a lot of the audience won't know, like that woman who yelled out, what? When Holmes and Moriarty went over the falls in my theater. I was sure that because that these two, that Gaddis and, well, and I gotta blame Steve Thompson too, who wrote the episode, um, they were just gonna leave it without us seeing him. 
But then it's also kind of interesting that when we do see him, he's, you know, looking very serious yeah. and very not happy. He's sent no concept of communication to Watson whatsoever to yeah. ease his grievance. Yeah. His grieving, There's no levity say. about that moment. Yeah. Which is heartbreaking. Yeah. It is so somber and tense and grieving. Yeah. There's no way around it. And that's where we get left. Yeah. Or the next god year, at least. Of course, now all the fans are just trying to think of the, the adventure of the empty house and just trying to imagine that moment when Holmes and Watson finally get reunited and Watson probably punches him in the face. Yeah, we know that's going to happen. <laughs> He's going to attack Holmes. I just thought of something. What is, what is Watson going to say when he finds out that Molly's helped? I don't know. Because Molly's not good at lying. No. Molly is probably going to disappear from social life, where Watson is probably concerned. But, well, we do get that moment at the end of this episode where, at the graveyard, where Mrs. Hudson is talking about all of Sherlock's stuff, and Watson says, I can't go back to the flat. So, there's a good chance Watson, like, just wouldn't Would move go on. anywhere near Molly or yeah, anyone true. that he knows. He tried to avoid them because he just can't deal. And then also, you know, Molly could be all, like, awkward and sort of, you know, make excuses. If they did happen to run into each other or something, sure. Molly could be all awkward and make excuses to leave soon after. And her awkwardness would be because, of course, she knows <laughs> about the faking, but it would be very easy for Watson to interpret that as she's not comfortable with right. talking to him because she knows. It's sort of an awkward situation. Okay, so back from spoilers. <laughs> okay, so it's safe to come back now. No more spoilers. Go get your chocolate. And Go your get, booze. And your, your your tea, your booze, or whatever solution of solace you need. Yes. Wrap yourself in your in your shock blanket. And remember, 42. Yes. Let's and think of something to, happy. Yes, happy stuff, happy stuff. Happy okay. stuff. We have another purveyor of nerdy yarns for you. So I think I might have seen this before, but in pre-podcast days, or forgot about it. But one of our listeners told us about a sh- online shop called Nerd Girl Yarns. It's You can get to it at shop.nerdgirlyarns.com. And she has all kinds of yarn. Spanning a lot of different geek genres. Yes. She has quite a few that can be dyed to order, and then she also has stuff that's in stock. But there's all kinds of things inspired inspired by Doctor Who, by Doctor Horrible. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. More Doctor Who. There's a lot of yarns if you're a fan of the show Once Upon a Time. There are tons of yarns for that one. There's some Harry Potter ones. One of the ones that I really want is... Diet, Drugs, and Pilates. Interesting. That's from the series Grimm. Okay. But the one I really want is not on this page. I'm just going to scroll through so we can look at it. There's a Stargate color. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That is yeah. the color of the, the wormhole inside the gate. Mm-hmm. And she has all kinds, you can have it dyed on all kinds of different bases as well. I would love to have that one on lace weight and do a circular shawl. And especially, ooh, and I just had another thought too. Ooh. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Crap, I'm having thoughts, people. This is a bad sign. But one of the, I was going to thinking I, you could put like, do a circular shawl and then around the edge do runes. Like the gate. And I just realized, wait, I could do a contrasting color of like dark gray or something and put the runes in that. that. So it looks like a a stargate. You're going just a little bit of red and excited. Ooh, Nevermore is really pretty too. Inspired by the raven, of course. Dark black and blue and purple. Oh, there's one for you soon, Maggie. Ninja. Ninja. Whole bunch of Doctor Who ones. And there's other ones like, you know, just ones like Peacock or... Queen Victoria. Put Put a a ring ring on on it. it. In a Tiffany blue. Yeah. Yeah, I want the Queen Victoria Demon Hunter one. That's such a really lovely, deep red. Resurrection Stone is so pretty. So there's all kinds of gorgeous colors here. And like I said, she has some that are in stock, and then there's some that you can, some colorways that you can get dyed to order. And there's one that's just plain TARDIS blue. Just is TARDIS blue. And there's one for the 10th Doctor. That's so oud. It actually has a list. She has them listed by themes and fandoms, too. There's art and music, characters, comics and cartoons. Harry Potter-inspired gaming, fairy tales and legends, fairy tales and legends, noms, other sci-fi and fantasy, tonals and solids, Doctor Who-inspired, with my freeze ray, which is Doctor Horrible-inspired, 
and YouTubing. Okay. I'll click on that one. Ninja came from that one. But yeah, so they're order they're organized by fandom or by different sort of theme too. And she's also got some accessories and tools and things in there. She has stitch markers. So I've got a few things that I'd like to order. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I think she's got like four or five different bases for fingering weight. Oh wait, no. Eleven different types <laughs> of fingering weight. She's got like Falklands yarn and Blueface Lester, and I know she's got a couple that are sparkly. Oh snap. I think that she's got a sparkly lace weight too, which is what I would love to do. The Stargate one. I would so prod (laughs) you to do that. I would prod you. But speaking of fingering weight and all things sock weight inspired. Oh, yes. There is a new source for patterns using sock yarn. The Sock Report for the Love of Sock Yarn. And this is put together by Janelle Laidman, who I'm sure I can't remember. I know I have a whole bunch of her patterns because she has lovely stuff but they're done by all different designers and it works sort of like twist collective you can buy patterns individually but in this case too you can also buy the entire collection so i think each pattern individually is like five bucks but the entire collection is like 16 bucks that's a serious deal yeah and it's formatted like a magazine and flipping through it there was a lot of really pretty patterns i love the suki shawl which uses two different colors of yarn and also has lots or really some really lovely lacy areas too panels on it yeah but i was looking through and there's a lot of different kinds of items in here like there's the Clio cardigan Cardi. by Snowden Backer, which is really cute. It's got a cute little lace edging on it. There's a few different shawls. I love the tulip dream I do shawl. too. I especially like what they did with the gradiated yarn Oh, right yes, there. the gradient one, the pink to white gradient. That was beautifully done. Yes. I've got to admit. There's little toys. Like, there's the Pocket Pals by Chris DeLongpre, who did... There's, like, a little beaver, a mouse, a rabbit, an owl, and looks like a little bird, little bluebird. And, of course, there's lots of socks. I love the Devonian socks. I like those too. Love those. I the love leafy that. pattern that sort of travels across the, the sock. And there's also articles in it like knitting your first sock. There's one about one of the heels that Alice U from Socktopus mm-hmm. uses. I think it's the one I used on the socks that I made. There's a little bit of knitting fiction from <laughs> Rachel Heron, who's done a couple like knitting themed romance novels. That was the, nice. Oh, Arcadia. Yes, the Arcadia Shell by Janelle Laidman. That one was very nice. And that looks like a, you know, a, a, a very shallow sort of scoop shape yep. shell. Those are pretty. The sky blue finger was mitts by Star Athena. The little ribs that sort of travel around the, or section of ribbing that sort of travels around the, the, wrist. the wrist. Cassian. Cassian. That one's that shawl. By Karina Ferguson. Yeah, and it looks like it's done in, it has... It has a lot of open area. And it looks like it's got three sort of triangular panels in it. So the back, actually, the shawl at the back, across the back, actually makes a straight line. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it would wrap around your shoulders really nice. But it's lovely and lacy and gorgeous. As if you didn't have enough ideas for shawls. And of course they have, you know, the pictures of the urns they use. And actually they have something there. They're asking people for personal style ads to help Mr. Lonely Sock find a soulmate. S-O-L-E. Yeah. Lonely Sock seeking soulmate. Launching in late August 2012, Skein Theory, the Science of Knitting Happiness, a sister publication to the Sock Report. I'm I keep wanting to say that. I keep wanting to say Sock Rapport. Too much Colbert Rapport. <laughs> and that'll be at skeintheory.com. And the pictures in this are just gorgeous. They have such gorgeous photography on here. But there's more places for you to use up some of that gorgeous sock yarn we keep finding. Mmm. And I believe that's all for this week. Yep. Okay, peoples, we hope that the hankies and the chocolate and the sock yarn will keep you company for the next two weeks. Yes. Think good thoughts. We'll be on vacation again. Sorry. No. No, you can't. It's not like you can prevent it. No. Yep, everybody, be good. If not, send us the pictures, and (laughs) I'm going to keep asking until I get pictures. Yeah. Duh. And see you later, everybody. Have a good week, guys. Bye-bye. You can survive this. Yes, you can. You can do it. Be strong. Right in the feels, man. Thanks for listening. To visit our show notes, listen to old episodes, or leave something in our tip jar, you can visit us at knit1geek2.mtpockets.org. That's K-N-I-T-1 G-E-E-K 2 dot M-T dash P-O-C-K-E-T-S dot O-R-G. You can also comment on our Ravelry group. Just search the Ravelry groups for Knit One Geek Two. We're also on Twitter. You can find us at www.twitter.com slash knit one geek two. Have a good week, everybody.